Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, um, Job chapter 1. Y'all grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Job. It's uh, right before the book of Psalms. So if you find Psalms pretty much in the middle of your Bible, if you have a regular uh, print Bible, so if you open up Psalm, just... Hang a left and you'll find Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1. Let me offer this disclaimer for those of you who are nervous. Reading and talking about Job does not cause problems in your life. So stop it. Calm down. Quit being so superstitious. It does not cause you to go through trials. What I hope this does is help to put perspective on it and help you understand some things. And I don't know if you notice this or not, but you do go through more than one trial in your life, right? So if, if you're in a good spot and you don't want anything to mess that up, then praise God. Ride that season as long as it lasts. But the, 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 the real news is that at some point you're going to go through another trial and it's probably a good idea to get, get prepared, okay? So uh, Job 1 and 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. Lord, I pray that you would uh, anoint us and, and uh, anoint your word today, not just the preaching of your word, but the hearing and most importantly, the doing of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us and change us today. Help us to hear your truth and apply it in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I, it's, it's my prayer today that God use this time together in the word to redeem the things that you've been through in your life. That he redeems them today for you. Now, we're in a series called Patriarchs, Prophets, and Priests. Uh, we're looking at the Old Testament heroes of the faith, and we're, and we're finding the life lessons there, and the lessons of their lives that speak to our lives. So we started with Noah, and then the last couple of weeks we've been talking about Jeremiah. Uh, today we're going to look at Job. Now, Job is legendary. He's legendary at this point, but not for anything that anybody would want to compete with him for. He is famous for suffering. Like nobody wants to challenge the king of suffering, right? He, he's famous for suffering and not just for suffering, but for the way he did it with grace and with patience. As a matter of fact, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've probably heard the saying um, that, that you have the patience of Job, right? Now, he was, Job was a God-fearing man, a man of great integrity and a man of great wealth. If you continue to read through the first chapter of Job, you'll find out that he had, he had lots and lots of worldly possessions. Uh, so he was, he was of great wealth. He was, he was greatly blessed. He was respected 
in the community. He was loved by his family. He was even loved and respected by the wait staff that, that was there to take care of his family. It would seem that if anybody did, Job had it all. But as a result of a conversation between God and Satan, Job went through an unimaginable trial that tested his faith and his integrity. Now, it happened in two stages. In the first stage, everything Job had in his life was taken away. He, he lost all ten. He had ten kids. All ten of them were killed together in one place at one time. All of his cattle, all of his livestock, all of the ways that he made a living and provided for his family were either stolen or destroyed. He was left with absolutely nothing. It was just him and his wife. Now, in the second stage, he lost his health. He had boils from head to toe. Boils are, sorry about this, big, oozing, painful sores all over his body. It was a miserable existence, a miserable way to have to live. Most of us are never going to go through, by the grace of God, never going to go through anything even approaching what Job went through. And thank God for that, right? But, but all of us have gone through and will go through again difficult trials that test our resolve, test our endurance, test our faith, sometimes in ways that we never thought possible. So what may surprise you, though, is that in addition to the trial itself, uh, there, will always, there will also be temptations that you face not only that make the trial more difficult, but also more dangerous to your faith and to your future. So even in the midst of your difficulty and your trial, whatever you're going through, you will be tempted in the midst of that trial to do some things that will shipwreck your faith. And so today I want us to talk about the, the temptations in the trial. The temptations in the trial. And we're going to look at these, these temptations, three of them, that are really pretty common. And we're going to see how we can stand strong uh, and stay true to the Lord even in the midst of our difficulties. All right, so here's the first temptation in the trial. You will be tempted to walk away. You'll be tempted to walk away from the Lord. I want to show you in Job chapter 2, Job chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. And Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, honey. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we only accept the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Listen, there's something about serving the Lord that creates this assumption that his followers should always be blessed and that everything should go well for them. Like the followers of Jesus should always have, it should always be roses and rainbows for the people who follow the Lord. In our culture today, that mindset, that mythology has come through the, the prosperity gospel that teaches you that your blessings, uh, that your worldly possessions indicate the hand and the favor of God on a person's life. 
And the implication is that if you're sick or if you're financially stressed or you're going through a trial or something bad's happened in your life, that it's because you lack faith and because your relationship with God is, uh, is, second, is, is second best. All right? Let me go ahead and debunk that for you right now. We read it in the first verse of the first chapter. Job was a man of complete integrity. He honored God with his life and everything that he did. What he went through not only wasn't an indication of sin in his life, it was actually the opposite of that. It was because of his faith that God allowed him to be put through this trial. But the pain of the trial will begin to mess with your mind. You start to believe that God is punishing you, that he's judging you, or maybe worst of all, that he's abandoned you, and that he either doesn't know or worse, doesn't care what you're going through. You start to believe that in this season of difficulty, that that this is just now your life. This is just what life looks like for me now, that it's just going to be the way it is from now on. Hopelessness sets in. And when hopelessness sets in, you'll do, you, you, you will look at your trial and, and you shift into the temptation phase because hopelessness causes your trial to start. You'll be tempted, you'll be tempted in the midst of this trial to just walk away. And that's what hopelessness causes. You're just like, I'm done. This situation will never change. I'm just walking away. It's a real temptation because when, because when you've lost hope, when you open your eyes every morning and you realize that today is probably going to look just like yesterday and that tomorrow is probably going to look like that too, that the pain and the loss and the grief that you've been living in is still there and there's no end in sight and there's no easy answer, then it gets really, it gets really easy, it gets really tempting for you to fall into that trap and to fall into this temptation. Why? Because you just want something to change. You just want something to change. You just want to feel like you have control of something in your life. Y'all know that feeling when you're going through something and it just feels like stuff happening to you, that is just you're completely at the mercy of this trial in your life. Could y'all like nod or something? Y'all ever been through stuff or is it just me? All right. Like you, stuff swirling around you, you it, and you're like, if one more thing happens, if I get one more text message, if I get one more phone call, right? One more thing happens, I'm just done. Y'all said that? Yeah. So you just, at some point, you just feel like you want to have control of something in your life. Anything. So very naturally and very easily, the enemy will start chirping in your ear to tempt you to walk away from your faith. He'll cause you to question God's goodness. A good God wouldn't allow me to go through this. He'll cause you to question God's character. Is he even a good God in the first place? Right? We start, we start questioning, though. Is God just toying with us? Are we just like chess pieces for him? And he's just moving us around just to play? Does he just find pleasure 
in watching us suffer? Does he even care that we're hurting? Why would I continue to serve a God? This is a loaded question. Why would I even continue to serve a God who's absent and silent when I need him the most? Job's wife, that's, I mean, she saw all of that. And she said, and she was also speaking out of grief and loss. She had also lost 10 kids. She had also lost her livelihood, her way of living. She'd also seen her husband, whom I assume she loved dearly, suffering horribly with, with these boils. And she just said, why are you still trying to maintain your integrity? You've been a good man your whole life. And where has it gotten you? So why don't you just curse God and die? So what, like, what's the danger there? Because if, if God gets mad at you and kills you, at least you're out of your misery. He clearly doesn't love you right now anyway. So why not go ahead and get it over with? It's a real challenge. Not to see God through the lens of your own suffering. Like you, it's a, it's a real challenge not to develop your theology of who God is only through the lens of what you've experienced in your life. And even worse, only through the lens of what you're experiencing right now in your trial. Now I've mentioned this before, but about 15 years ago I walked through an extended trial and came very close to walking away from my faith. I, was, I understand this temptation because I lived it. And, and fortunately, I lived through it. See, when you're in pain, you reduce the whole world to your own current experience. You just can't see outside the borders of your own trial and tribulation. I was broke. I was confused. I was frustrated. I was embarrassed. I was hurting, and, and if I was going to believe in God, I didn't care about a God who could part the Red Sea. I didn't care about a God who could speak the universe into existence. I really didn't even care about a God who could save a soul. What I wanted in that moment was a God who could help me provide for my family. A God who could clear up my confusion. A God who could give me some solid steps that I could take that would, that would change things. A God who could provide some purpose for my pain. And I had reduced the, the entire character and nature and power and love of God. I boiled it, I boiled it all down to how he was going to handle my circumstance. And I'm going to tell you, because I was still around a lot of you then, I didn't care how much he blessed you. <laughs> if anything, him blessing you <laughs> made me mad. Right? You have to realize there's a bigger picture. You have to. You have to realize that God is bigger than what you're going through in this moment. You have to realize that it, everything may not be what it seems to be. That there are some things that you are not going to understand. You're just not. There are some things that will never make sense to us 
on this side of eternity. In those moments, your path back to faith will come from what you know about God, not from what you feel about your circumstance. Your path to faith, I know we get, we get our faith wrapped up in our feelings a lot, but your path back to faith is going to come from what you know, not from what you feel. Faith, what does the word say in Romans? I think it's chapter 5. Faith comes by hearing. And that comes from the word of God, not from analyzing your circumstance. Remind yourself of what you learned about him from his word. Not from your trial. From his word. Remind yourself how he's expressed himself to you in times past. Hope is found in the facts of God's faithfulness. Not in the feeling of your circumstance. You know God's faithful because he said he's faithful. Not because... You're in the middle of a chapter of your life and you haven't seen the conclusion of it yet. When you're in pain, your heart will deceive you. Okay? That's Jeremiah. Lots of good stuff from Jeremiah. Uh, The word of prophecy today from Jeremiah. You call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Jeremiah. Don't trust your heart, Jeremiah said. He said, it is desperately wicked and deceitful above everything that you'll ever encounter in your life. Your own heart. You said, well, John, I've just learned to follow my heart. Stop that. Stop following your heart. Your heart will lead you to walk away because your heart hurts. Don't trust your heart. Hold his hand. Hold his hand. He is a good father. He does love you. He does see you. He does know you. He does understand how hard this is on you. He does know the toll that it's taking on you. He knows you feel alone. He, but he hasn't abandoned you. He can't abandon you because he said he wouldn't. And he is not a liar. He can't lie because he's the truth. He promised he would never leave you and he would never forsake you. And guess what? He hasn't. Well, well, John, I don't feel him. I know. Because your heart is all jacked up from the pain. You can't feel him because you, it's just messed up. You don't, you're feeling, your feelings are deceiving you. He's right there. But there's so much going on, you just can't tell. He's there. I've been through enough in my life, especially in the last five or ten years, maybe the last year more than anything, I've been through some things that have rocked my faith and made me wonder what in the world is going on. has, has made me drill down to what I actually know and believe about God. I got questions. I got some questions. I know you think I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to have the answers. I'm just telling you, I got some questions. I'm still looking for some answers. 
Still trying to figure out sometimes where to put my feet. Here's what I do know. God is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. Even if our individual experiences don't always reflect what we think we know about him. There's just too much of him to filter through the limited experiences of our lives. Don't fall for the temptation in the trial. Don't walk away from him. Stay close to him. Here's the second temptation. You will be tempted to feel superior to God. You'll be tempted to feel superior. I want to show you this in Job 40. Is this real life today, y'all? Job 40. We're going to read uh, eight verses. Then the Lord said to Job, this is after like 39 chapters of Job and other people talking. He said, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? <laughs> Listen, when God says, do you still want to argue? Say no. <sighs> do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are, man, you are God's critic. But do you have the answers? <laughs> Say no. Then, then Job said to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever even find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have already said too much. I have nothing else to say. And the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, brace yourself like a man because I've got some questions for you and you must answer them now, the, ooh, Lord, this is the question. Read that whole, whole two chapters. But God said, will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? <laughs> Amen. We're dismissed. <sighs> For the most part, Job did an incredible job of handling an incredibly difficult situation. I just I want to show you the good stuff because we beat Job up sometimes and it feels like God's mad at him or whatever. But, but Job made some incredible revelations um, and declarations that are foundational to our faith. And I want just, just three of them I want you to see. In Job 19, Job 19, Job said, As for me, I know my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last, and after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. Job said this in Job 13 and verse 15 in the, in the uh, 21st century King James, Though he slay me, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. He said this in, in, uh, in Job the first chapter of Job 20 and 21, this is right after they told him that all his kids were gone, that all of his stuff was gone, that everything was gone. It's just him and his wife now. And this is what Job said. Job arose. He tore his mantle. He shaved his head. He fell down on the ground and worshiped. And he said this, naked I came out of my mother's womb. Naked I'm going to return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Those are incredible declarations of faith in the midst of unbelievable losses. but, But the grief of losing all 10 of his kids all at once, the devastation of losing his livelihood, the constant pain in his body from these nasty, these nasty little sores, it's enough to make anybody testy. What made it worse was when his three so-called friends showed up. And we'll talk more about them in, in just a few minutes. But, but while he was talking to them, Job got, got a little arrogant about how innocent he was of this thing that God had allowed in his life. Now, it's natural when you're in a trial to search yourself and to see if you've got any sin, any weight, anything that God might be convicting, of you, convicting you of, trying to urge you to get rid of it. That's good. That's healthy. It's never a bad thing to search your heart and to make sure your life lines up with the Word of God, the character and nature of Christ. That's all good. What, what, it's, what usually it's about, though, is us trying to figure out, is there anything in me that would deserve the punishment that I feel like I'm getting right now? Right? It's not really about repentance. It's about let's make the pain stop. All right? Here's the problem. Our trials don't always line up directly with our actions. You can't always draw a straight line from you and your character and your actions into what happens to you. And that's the good news. Do we really want to reap what we've sown immediately? It is the grace of God that we don't always get what we deserve in those moments. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John chapter 9, they asked Jesus about a blind man. They came to him and said, hey Jesus, well, like, who messed up in his life? Was it him or was it his parents that sinned that caused him to be blind? And Jesus used the most mind-blowing word that they could have even thought of. He said, neither. They only gave him two choices. Jesus opted for choice C, none of the above. He said it wasn't him or his parents that sinned. This is not about sin. Jesus said he was born blind so that, so that uh, the power of God could be de- demonstrated in his life. In other words, this had nothing to do with him. Had nothing to do with his character. There's a bigger picture going on, Jesus said. So if that's the case, a lot of times you're going to search yourself and you're not going to come up with anything. And that's when the temptation hits you. The temptation to feel superior to God. To feel that God is unjustly punishing you and you're innocent. So I told you last week it's okay to to lament, right? To to grieve your losses. to, uh, To question and to cry out to God. It's a good thing. And you should do it. But, but hear me today, there is a fine line between a question and an accusation. Y'all tracking with me? There's a fine line be- between lamenting and lambasting God. Between raising a concern with God and drawing a conclusion about God. So we cross the line when we try to make ourselves look like we have the moral high ground and God has done something to us. 
That's what this passage is saying. God didn't show up and say, Job, you've been lying this whole time. You do have sin in your life and you need to repent. That's not what he said. He just, he just showed up and said, are you seriously trying to discredit me and condemn me just to make yourself look good? That's what God said. And he was not okay with it. If you're in a trial, ask all the questions you want to. Or if you're just reflecting on a trial. I still got questions about things I've already been through and still don't understand some stuff. If, you get, if you're in a trial, ask all the questions you want. Ask him, ask him when and why and how long. Tell him how bad it hurts. Tell him how much you want it to be over. But don't accuse God of being unjust. Don't accuse him of being cruel. Why? Because that's pride. It's pride. You're making yourself look good at the expense of the integrity of God. You'd, you'd rather people be convinced of your goodness than God's goodness. So you make yourself the victim of God's injustice. It's pride. Look at James chapter 4, verse 6. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we operate in pride, God opposes us. He actively works against us. But when we operate in humility, he gives us grace. And I've been through a, a, enough stuff to know that when, you're going in the, when you go through a trial and you're in the midst of a difficult situation, what you need the most of is the grace of God. And you need a bunch of it. God showed up, he confronted Job, he confronted Job's friends about all the things they were saying. Very wisely, Job backed up, realized the error of his ways. He said, God, I've said too much, I'm shutting up and listening now. See, God is often hard to understand, but he is never wrong. And he's never unjust, because he can't be. Again, go back to what you know is true and not back to what you feel. Rest assured that even if you can't see it, there's always a reason. And there's always a plan. And if we stay close to Him, it'll always work together with everything else in our lives for our ultimate good. For those who are the called, right? Ones who, those who are the called according to His purpose. Don't allow yourself to fall to the temptation to feel superior to God. Stay humble, and God will exalt you in due season. Now, here's the last, uh, the last temptation that we get hit with during a trial. You will be tempted to hold a grudge. You'll be tempted to hold a grudge. I will not ask for you to raise your hand, but any of y'all like grudge holders? Like Olympic team, grudge holders. Job 42. Job 42. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job. Listen. 
Go to my servant Job offer and, and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, Zophar, they did exactly what the Lord commanded them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. We'll read this again in just a minute, but pay attention to to verse 10. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Now, let me fill you in on the background here, and then I'm going to tell you something that might surprise you. Um, When Job uh, got hit with all of this, he had some friends show up. Now, they did great. To begin with, they showed up, they did the the exact right thing. For a whole week, they didn't say anything. They sat down and shut up. They sat beside him. He's scraping his sores. He's probably crying out to God. And they just sat down with him. Listen, people get really intimidated about how do you help people? How do you minister to people who are grieving? How do you minister to people who are in pain? They're afraid. People are afraid because they don't know what to say. Y'all all been through that? Y'all, I do this for a living. I wonder the same things like, what am I going to say to that that person? And here's the answer. There ain't a thing in the world you're going to say that's going to make it any better. So just take yourself off the hook. There are no magic soothing words. The power is in the presence. The power is in the fact that you just showed up in the midst of their pain that you're there. And that's what speaks the loudest. So if there's somebody in your life going through something, just be there. That's what his friends did. And they knocked it out for that first seven days. And then they opened their mouths. And they started talking. And not only did they not come up with something comforting to say, they came up with perhaps the worst possible things to say. They accused him of everything they could think of. They told him, you are clearly hiding sin. Or this wouldn't be going to. They questioned his integrity. They just tore the man right out of the frame. Right in the midst of his suffering. The man is is, is scraping himself with broken pottery because it makes him feel better somehow. And they are just beating the snot out of him. Verbally. It's hard to imagine how things could have gotten worse for Job after he lost all his children at one time, lost all of his worldly possessions, got stricken with a painful, horrible disease, and his wife told him to curse God and die, but somehow his three friends figured out how to make it worse. (laughs) I also want to ask you to raise your hand if you've got friends like that. Um, So God showed up, silenced Job, silenced all of his friends, and he went on, God went on this righteous rant of theological truth about himself. And then Job repented. And after that, God turned his attention to the three friends, which is what we just read about in the passage. Now, I've read this passage for forever in my life. I've heard it preached all my adult life. But a few months ago, I realized that, that an awful lot of the preaching that I've heard about it has been wrong. And I want to I wanna kind of clear that up for you. So, oh, John, that sounds real spiritual. Like, did you have a vision? Did you, did you fall into a trance? Like, did God write it on a scroll? and get? No, I just read what's been right here in the Bible. I just kind of read it. Just seemed important to read what he said. Job, the book of Job, 
uh, is probably 3,500 years old. It's, it's considered to be the oldest book of the Bible. This particular book, pro- again, probably 3,500 years old. Uh, but, you know, it's been, it's been saying the same thing for 3,500 years. The problem is sometimes we have that we have sometimes reading the Bible is that sometimes we wish we read what we wish it would say, or what we think it says, or what somebody told us it says, but we we don't read what it actually says. Okay, so I've been guilty of that too. So I'm not setting myself up as the righteous one. I was just surprised to read what it actually said. Sometimes we are guilty of preaching what preaches good. And don't always double-check the passage to make sure it supports the weight of your declaration. Just because just it makes people shout don't mean it's the truth, right? So I've heard preachers get to this passage and they say, So God blessed Job for what he had been through. He, he had been through such a hard time that God gave him double for his trouble. Y'all heard that message? It's a great one. And because we Pentecostal, we do a lot of shouting when we hear that because that's, that's awesome. We're like, fantastic. That means because I've been through some hard stuff that I'm going to get back double what, what, because of what we've endured. And that's, that's, it is great news if that was actually written in the Bible. But that's not what it says. Let's read what it says. It does say God gave Job twice as much as he had before. That's not in dispute. It's the reason for that. Let's read it again. Job 42 and verse 10. Yeah, let's go back. Yeah, there we go. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. God didn't bless Job because he went through a hard time. He blessed him because he prayed for his three awful friends. He interceded for the people who made his pain worse. He prayed that God would forgive the people who came to torture him in the midst of his pain. It would have been really easy to hold a grudge, right? Really easy to hold a grudge for Job. These guys were award-winningly terrible comforters. They said awful things to him. But in order for them to be forgiven by God, God mandated that they ask Job to pray for them. One, because God was vindicating Job in the eyes of his friends. They had just spent however many hours or days or whatever talking about how sinful he was. So now God said, no, the only path to forgiveness for you is to go to this guy that you said was so sinful. All right? But it was also a test for Job. Was Job the man of integrity that he claimed he was or not? That's the test. See, we don't like to talk about it, but followers of Jesus do not get the option to hold a grudge. You don't get to love Jesus and hate anybody. You don't get to love Jesus and hold a grudge, hold unforgiveness towards people who have hurt you in your life. We just don't get to do that. Why? Because we've been forgiven. And Jesus said, if you intend to, uh, to walk in my forgiveness that I gave you and you didn't earn, then you have to turn around and give it to other people who also didn't earn it. But it, we don't just have to extend forgiveness. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus uh, said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, 28. 
But I say unto you, this is Jesus, I say to you that here, love your enemies. He didn't just say forgive them. He said love them little jokers. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them, not about them, not against them. Pray for them that despitefully use you. And that's exactly what God told Job he had to do. He, he had to pray for those who had treated him with spite and caused him pain. When you go something, you're going to be tempted to hate everybody associated with it. You're going to hate everybody who caused it, everybody who contributed, who contributed to it. You're going to hate all of them. God said, that's not acceptable. Can't do that. He said, you need to pray for them. You need to bless them. You need to do good for them. Everybody wants to get excited about the double blessing of Job, but who wants to forgive people? Who wants to, who wants to release those people? Who wants to pray blessing over those people? Who wants to ask God to forgive the people who caused them the most pain in their lives? It's not double for your trouble. It's double for praying for those who caused you the trouble. I noticed none of y'all are shouting me down about that one. Everybody remains seated and silent. Listen, trials, hard times, they're bad enough. But they eventually end, right? Seasons change. That's the definition. Seasons change. But if you're not careful, the temptations, not the trial itself, but the temptations that are presented to you in the midst of that trial, they'll cause you way more damage than the actual trial itself if you fall for them. Listen, don't walk away from your faith. Don't walk away from your faith. It's your lifeline. Don't let pride cause you to feel superior to God for what you went through. Humble yourself so you can walk in grace and you need all the grace you can get. And don't hold a grudge against those who caused your trial, against those who ignored your pain, or even worse, those who, or even worse than that, those who caused your pain to be worse. Forgive them. Why? Because it's just weighing you down. It's just weighing you down. So what if, what if the person I'm holding a grudge against, what if the person I'm mad at is God? Forgive him. Now, he didn't do anything wrong. I had a conversation about this with somebody a couple weeks ago. They didn't understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying God ever does anything wrong. I'm saying you can get offended at a perfectly righteous and holy God because you don't understand or because you don't like it or because it causes you pain. That's where the offense comes from. It's not God's side. He didn't do it wrong. But what he did choose to do and have to do was difficult to swallow and it's caused you pain. You have to release God. You have to release God for the pain that you went through. You have to believe that He was righteous in what He did. Even if you can't connect the dots. If it's other people that caused you pain, release them. Release them. Why? Because they're just keeping you connected to the pain. 
the more you hate them every time you think about them and you and, and all the hate and the animosity rises up again it's just bringing all the pain back cut the cord cut the cord forgive them release them and bless them bless them why they don't deserve it because at the end of the day none of us deserves it they need forgiveness and grace just like you do. And if you're withholding forgiveness and grace from somebody, maybe you didn't understand how bad you needed it in the first place when Jesus found you. Y'all stand with me. Hey, John, when are you going to get to the happy stuff? In the Old Testament. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I tried this week, I'm telling you. I tried. But here's what I owe you. More than, more than, uh, more than making you feel good, I owe you to tell you what I feel like the Lord's telling me to say to you in any moment. So if we have to keep coming in here and dealing with our mess, that's what we're going to do. I hope it brings you some degree of comfort to know that I'm dealing with my mess just as much as you're dealing with yours. God brought people to my mind from some of the trials that I've been through that I'm not sure I've forgiven because of their association with that trial or their indifference towards that trial or whatever. If you'll ask the Lord, He'll show you. He'll show you. We're going to pray, and you can, you can come and pray about anything that uh, is going on in your life. But if the Lord specifically is, is, is calling you to deal with the pain um, of the situations that you've been through, to, to deal with the temptations in the midst of the trials, come do that. Come do that. We'll be happy to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. Uh, for your word today. I thank you that you don't pull any punches and you don't try to sugarcoat anything or gloss over the hard stuff. That The good, the bad, and the ugly is all right there in your word. And, I, and, and that you teach us what we need to know to go through the things that we have to go through in this life. Lord, I pray that you would, you would draw people to this altar. And I know that when you do, that you're going to meet them here with, with, um, with truth. Meet them here with love. Meet them here with forgiveness and acceptance. When we come and repent, when we come in humility, Lord, that you're going to meet us here. Lord, draw every person here, whatever's going on in their lives, if they need healing in their bodies, if they need healing in their minds and their souls, if they, need, uh, if they have a financial need, a, a decision coming up, whatever it is that's going on in their lives, pray that you draw them and that you'd meet them here for your honor and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.